No Good Deed was the one song that my I had one riff that then got X nice. <gasps> they were like, they're like, really? you can't do that. That doesn't make sense. And I was like, what? There was something about the the vowel that I was doing. They're like, it doesn't make sense because you're doing it, it. His name doesn't make sense anymore. And and like, like, everyone's opting up. None of those make sense. <laughs> <laughs> my name's Quincy. My name's Kevin. And this is Sentimental Men. But keep your thumb away from that skip button. We're here to talk. And maybe scream. About our favorite women in musical theater. So Quincy, I think we should just be upfront here that this is a fast and furious episode. So actually, this is funny because guys, everything you've listened to up until this point has been recorded and planned far in advance. Like you are hearing- Way in advance. Yeah, like- this truly is like kind of current time. So we just came out of Thanksgiving break and the holidays and all of that kind of stuff was like, I think it threw a wrench in like our typical schedule. Yeah, it's Monday, we're recording and God willing, it's Friday and you're all listening. I mean, yeah, if you're listening to this on Friday, guys, it has truly been a feat of wonder because Kevin and I are both very busy outside of this podcast right now. <laughs> I'm just going to preemptively say it. I'm proud of us for making this yeah. happen. I'm, I'm putting it out. That, it's going to happen. That it's all going to work out. So yeah, so Quincy, why don't you tell us who we're talking to today. Okay. So this guest starred in the 2013 Broadway revival of Jekyll and Hyde as Emma, also starred in Broadway's Finding Neverland, which I saw her in, in 2015, and most recently starred as Lady Cher in The Cher Show that I just realized, Kevin, you and I actually saw The Cher Show together. Yes, we did see The Cher Show together, Quincy. So, I mean, I think everyone's got to know who we're talking about. First of all, because the hints, and second of all, because it says it in the episode Oh, title. that's right. I but... literally didn't realize that, like, <laughs> we've been doing that. Well, anyway, we're talking to Teal Wicks today, everybody. Teal Wicks! <laughs> I'm so excited. So yeah, so we're talking to Teal Wicks. I'm so excited because she's been a part of this show for a long time. Let's run through her history with Wicked, right? So she started as Standby in 2008 in the Los Angeles sit-down production. Uh-huh. Standing by for Casey Levy and then took over from Casey Levy in 2008 and starred opposite Megan Hilty. What a duo. And then opened the San Francisco sit-down production starring opposite Miss. Kendra Kassebaum. You're just listing my faves right now. And then took over on Broadway in 2011, starring opposite Katie Rose Clark. Not to make her whole alphabet journey about the Glinda she starred opposite, but... But please. (laughs) She has starred opposite a lot of my favorite Glindas, which is so exciting for me because she really is one of my favorite alphabas, too. Mm -hmm. I am tickled that we are talking to Teal Wicks tonight. You know, I'm what can only increase my excitement, Quincy, what? is a little stuck on SJB. That was a smooth transition, Kevin. Thank you. So I have a really fun stuck on SJB, and I hope you've seen it because it would like provide so much context if you have, and I really hope you have. <laughs> it's Stephanie J. Block at the Broadway.com Audience Choice Awards 2012. They're giving the award for best tour of the year, right? Mm -hmm. And Wicked wins best tour. Mm -hmm. Stephanie is in the audience because she's nominated for best replacement for her star turn as Reno Sweeney in Anything Goes. Uh (laughs) And so they announce Wicked as the winner. Stephanie J. Block immediately darts up 
to the the podium Mm -hmm. and goes, I'm just going to take this one. Because in her mind, she assumed, obviously, no one is here from the tour. So who's going to claim this award? And she gives this great speech about how Wicked's going to run forever. They're opening their tour in space soon. Like, really, just like for coming up on the fly, really witty, really great. And she gives this whole thing. And she's the perfect level of drunk, where it's like entertaining and not obnoxious. Gives her whole spiel. Everyone's eating it up. Leaves the stage. And then the presenters come up and go, in order to share this excitement with the cast, we notified them a week ago and they sent in a video. And then it cuts to Mamie Paris accepting the award on video. It is the most hilarious thing that only Stephanie J. Block could pull off. Anyone else? Yeah, because the purest of intentions. I don't doubt it for a second. And honestly, she deserved to take it. She opened the tour. Sure, why not? She opened the tour. And you know what? I'm glad she got to hold a trophy associated with Wicked. Are you missing the thrills and drama of Broadway? Well, Resident Dramatics and twin brothers Connor and Dylan McDowell are bringing you all that and more on their podcast, Drama. Joined weekly by thrilling special guests, they explore theater, entertainment, pop culture, and the vibrance of love and life in New York City. With new episodes every Wednesday, listen in for your weekly dose of (laughs) drama. Plus, Sentimental Men listeners are in for a huge treat, as they've had some of your favorite Alphabas, Glindas, Fieros, and even a Rose or two on the pod. Follow them at The Drama Podcast and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. Drama. To Wix. Thank you for joining us! Yeah! I'm really happy to be here, you guys. <laughs> This is so fun. Okay, I want to start this interview by letting you know that Kevin was over at my apartment, I think it was last weekend, and we were talking about the week we had coming up, and my roommate overheard that you were going to be on the podcast, and she showed us a screenshot. <laughs> Teal, you were her most played artist on her Spotify Unwrapped. Not the share <laughs> show, not Stephanie J. Block and Michaela Diamond, Teal Wicks. I don't even have, like, I don't have many things. But I was like, she must have been listening to the share show, but like only your songs? <laughs> Who can blame her, honestly? I mean, you know, I had that one, that one song from the share <laughs> show that was my own that was a bop. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Quincy's roommate. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So we start every interview by asking, what is your Wicked story? How did the show come into your life as a person, not an actress? So I was, I laugh when I say this because when I've talked to some other people, people who are in Wicked that I've known, and they talk about when they first discovered Wicked, and, you know, they were like youngsters. And I was like, I was in college when Wicked came out and it came out and everybody was very, very excited. I was at UC Irvine uh, as drama major there. And I remember a lot of drama friends and whatnot were like, oh my God, wicked. This is crazy. Ah, all this sort of stuff. And <laughs> I, was, I didn't really know it all that much. And I remember there was one day I was in the parking garage and I was going to my car and a friend drove by and she was like, Tail, this song! And like blasted defying gravity just in the UCI drama parking garage, just with the windows down, just blasting it. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's, I don't know. So I, I didn't really know. I was very, very late to to jump on the Wicked bandwagon. And I don't really know why. I don't know why. I think 
honestly, I kind of know why, because <laughs> this is just how I am. I pretend that I'm cooler than I am. And I'm like, well, everybody loves that. So I'm not going to love it. Well, and you strike me as like, uh, you weren't like a theater, like nerd growing up. I secretly was. I mean, I loved musical theater, but most of my friends when I was growing up were not musical theater people at all. So it wasn't until I was in college gotcha. with people who actually loved musical theater as much as I did and like taking musical theater history. I was just mm. like, oh my God, this is so cool. I love the history of all of this and blah, blah, blah. So I was, I'm very, I'm covertly a musical theater nerd. But yeah, so I was like just late to the party. But I had been a huge fan of Idina Menzel. She was one of my, you know, top, 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 top Broadway stars. From Rent. From from Rent and The Wild Party. Uh. I love The Wild Party. Yeah, I was it, in college, my two like musical theater goal people like goal careers were Idina Menzel and Cherry Renee Scott. Yeah, I love that Venn diagram for you. Right? Yeah, that's such a good fit. Sometimes people like say that and you're like, you thought that? Like you Like what if I was like and Carol Channing? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you're like, I mm, so because Idina Menzel was, this, you know, in it, I was like, yeah, yeah, cool, okay, yeah. I mean, those are some big, big songs. That's that's a lot of singing. So my dad and I, we had a layover in New York, and we were like, we have to see Wicked, and Wicked was a very big deal. It's still a big deal, but even back then. Yeah, yeah, back yeah. And those aughts, those aughts, the the two thousand aughts, it was uh, yeah. it was even bigger deal and harder to get a ticket. Because Kevin and I were talking about earlier how like when Wicked first opened, it was very like. Book of Mormon level yeah. attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like the Hamilton you know. of, you know, 2000 blah, blah, blah. She was a hot ticket. She was a hot ticket. And so my dad and I, the only way you could get a ticket was either like a super duper expensive scalper or you stand in line for the lottery. So the first night we're there, we get in line for the lottery. Don't win. Don't win at all. The second day we go for the matinee and we buy tickets to another show. Um, but we're like, we're going to get in the, we're going to do the lottery every chance that we have until we fly home. We're going to get in the lottery line and, you know, yeah. thinking that we weren't going to win. And my name gets pulled and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I got And then my dad's name gets pulled and he's like, I don't need it. We're good. And the whole line is like, <laughs> yeah. Felt like such an event. Yeah, no, he was the savior of that day. <laughs> he was the savior of the wicked lottery line that day. And so we go and we sit down, and it's the Gershwin. It's a huge theater. We're front row because those lottery tickets are front row. And as soon as the first chords of that overture start, and that dragon wakes up and goes rah 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 rah. Oh my god! I I started crying. I just started crying because it was just so. The show is so dramatic, and it's so hearing the music that I knew so well, seeing it actually brought to life and the production value really just brings it all home and just, you know, elevates it. Yeah, because especially in like 2004, Wicked was a spectacle yeah. back then. It was huge. I mean, they do this at a lot of shows. They build the show into the theater, but the Gershwin, you know, they had the proscenium extended with all these little acting spots and the monkeys fly over the audience. And Yeah. I'm always like, what other show could be in the Gershwin Theater? Like, what can fill this theater? And I was just going to say, because bringing that show into the house of the Gershwin is like a much bigger undertaking than bringing it into the house of like the booth you know yeah. what i mean like that's a huge fucking theater it's a huge and so it's the scale of wicked just fits that theater all right so you saw wicked on broadway so i saw wicked on broadway idina menzel jennifer laura thompson a boy band 
Joey McIntyre. Joey McIntyre. From New Kids on the Block. Yes. yes. Yeah. So we I think we saw the same first cast, Teal. Oh my God. Yeah. Is what I'm piecing together here. Except for you saw a different Glinda, right? Oh yeah, I saw Megan Hilty. Oh, Megan. Which, yeah, I mean, like, indignant little 12-year-old me was like, what do you mean Jennifer Laura Thompson's not here? And then by intermission, I was like, oh my god, she's perfect. Because she is. Megan is, is like, from another planet. She seriously is from another planet. (laughs) Oh my god. So did you see Wicked again before you went in for the show? No, no, that was it. So I remember when I was seeing Wicked for the first time and seeing Idina Menzel, who I had been a huge fan of, and watching her do it, I remember looking and being like, I think I could do that role, which was really cool to have that sort of confidence. I mean, I was also, you know, young, early 20s, thinking I can do whatever the hell I wanted to. And (laughs) you weren't intimidated by it at all. I wasn't intimidated by it. And there was also just something with like Elphaba Story and seeing the show after knowing the soundtrack. Um, and I read the book. You read the book? Yes, I read the book. As a fan or like before your audition? Before my audition. That's still impressive though, because I feel like Alphabas don't read the book. I think if there are any future Alphabas listening to this, um, read the book because you get so much insight into the character. It's just, and the world. Like Wicked is a dark, dark world. All the characters have a little darkness to them. It's just, even when they yeah. have lots of frothy lightness, there's still a darker side. So the pendulum can sort of swing that other way and help balance it out. So people are, the characters are grounded, which I think is what makes it real. Even though everything's so heightened, you have a little lightness and a little darkness in all the characters. Yeah. And it makes them feel real, real-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the book plot is very different from the musical plot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I remember one thing with the reading the book that always stuck with me about just kind of like how, why we can justify other than, other than her being green, why everybody's so like, oh, ah, oh my God. And why her father hates her so much and all these things. When she was a baby, she had like rows of teeth and would literally like, Uh, instead of sucking her thumb, she would like bite her fingers off and then they would grow back. And I was like, she's a little monster. Yeah. Yeah. She's dark. Yeah. It's dark. Very dark. Um, so Teal, talk us a little bit through like that kind of unintimidated attitude when you first saw the show. Did that stay with you when you had your your audition process for the show? It did. It did. The first time I auditioned for Wicked ever, any Wicked, was I auditioned for Nessa Rose for the Chicago Company. Nessa Rose. Nessa Rose. Interesting. I know. I'm still in my... Early, early 20s. Yeah. And then the, my next audition for Wicked, there were two spots open. There was an Elphaba onstage ensemble cover in, I think, the tour, and then the Elphaba standby in LA, in the Los Angeles company. And at the time, I was I was at Good Speed Opera House doing 1776, playing Martha Jefferson. And at Goodspeed, at least at that time, I think it's still, I think that still is, but you have two days off. You have Monday and Tuesdays off. And so, you know, we would hitch a ride with whoever had a car and go back to the city for our days off. And I had an audition for the thing. And I was like, this is cool. This is great. I've been singing these songs. I know, you know, as I said, I was like, I could do this role. It kind of makes sense. And then I had a callback and then I had another callback. I think I had like five or six callbacks. For standby and understudy. You didn't know which one. Yeah, because they were trying to figure out who, and they were just like slowly dwindling down, you know, the girls. 
So I, I was going back and forth in between Connecticut and to go do my show. And then also I remember there was one where the night after a show, I had to drive back to New York and I had an audition, a callback the next morning and then had to go and make it to Connecticut in time for the show. Uh, uh, but luckily because I was Martha, she doesn't come in until the second act. So I had a late yeah. call anyways, which was good. Thank you, Martha. Thank you, Martha, for the one, one and done song. Yeah, princess track. Princess track. And for, I think my last... I had two dance calls, and I think the first one where there were four girls, and then there were two of us, and they were at the Gershwin Theater with the dance captain. Like on the stage, or just no. like in a oh my God, like you... in a rehearsal room or something. Uh, the Gershwin has its own rehearsal room, but I feel like it's normally not at like they don't normally do auditions at the Gershwin. Yeah, I've never heard of that. I don't know why. I don't know why. Again, this was you know just a few years ago, <clears throat> like <laughs> you know ten years ago, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> So things were different back then, children. Things were different. Before digital lotteries and all these things. Youngsters, you don't know how good you have it now. Like, we, people didn't come out and do shows. They didn't have, like, the ham-for-ham ham free shows while you were waiting in line. Those actors were like, we're going to just save it for this theater, this stage right back there. Save it for our paycheck. Yeah, there. exactly. Yeah, stood there on the pavement, listened to the 60 songs you could fit on your iPod shuffle, and you waited like <laughs> everyone else. Oh my god. Okay, so auditioning for Elvaba, and then I have my final callback, and still doing 1776, and I remember the morning, it, I, I'm pretty sure my final callback was like maybe around like 11am or something, because I had to go and do the show that night. Um, so I do I get my like little throat coat tea. I make it at home and I have, it's either yogi or traditional medicines, but they have little quotes on them. Mm. And I, I put it in my travel, you know, thingy that I'm going to take with me. And the little quote said, you will defy the odds. <gasps> I know, right? No, it didn't. It did. <laughs> Wait, that's crazy. Isn't that great? And I have to remember that, that, that there were times that things actually sort of aligned and happened. And and in that moment, were you like, oh, my God, this is a sign? Yeah. I mean, I was still like yeah. freaked out, but I was like, this is good. This bodes well for me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then I go in and do the thing and it was great. But I remember there's a chick who was out there who was not auditioning for Wicked. And I came out and she was like, you're going to book that. I was like, oh, wow. I mean, it felt really good. And she was like, yeah, that was wrong. I was like, oh, thank yeah. you. And then I got it. And then I got it. And you got standby I in got, the LA Oh, yes, company. yes. Clarify. I got standby in the Los Angeles production of Wicked. The sit-down production, which was big news when it was there. It was big. It was huge. Yeah. And because it was in California and I had... I'm from Northern California, from Sacramento, but I was going to, I had gone to school in Orange County, Irvine's in Orange County, you know, so it's not far from LA. So it also felt familiar. I have family and friends there. So it was great. And I had to leave 1776 at Goodspeed Opera House two weeks early. But luckily my, my understudy was a friend of mine. So she got to go and finish the last two weeks of the show. She loved it. It was great. Yeah. And so wait, so that means your whole Alphaba audition process was quick then, if it yeah. all happened during performances. It did. And I had to go soon. And it was a big, it was a big deal because it was a, it wasn't a year contract, but it was like, like an eight, like a nine months, nine month contract that I signed. Yeah. And so I go out to LA. And you're standing by for Casey Levy. Casey Levy, who took over for Eden Espinosa. Casey had been Eden Espinosa's standby. So when I go to Wicked, I have three or four weeks of rehearsals before I officially take over. So when I go and the show that I'm watching and learning is Eden Espinosa's. But to learn the show from 
Kevin and I call them like the golden age alphabas. To yeah. learn the show from a golden age alphabet is yeah. like such a gift. Such a gift. And Eden was just amazing. We had some mutual friends. So she was just, she was so nice and like gave me all the tricks. And then Casey's just a sweetheart and just like, just such a chill, chill, chill chick. So it was, I feel like actually all the alphabas are pretty great. We say it's like the shared trauma. Like everyone like <laughs> wants to welcome you into yeah. this, like, because you've all been through it. Yeah. You know? And we're like, we're going to set you up for success because it's not easy. And like, these are all yeah. the tricks and all this sort of stuff. So it was, it was pretty awesome. And then I took over for Casey. I remember I went on vacation. I had a week vacation and then my plane landed in LA and I had all these texts and emails and calls from my agents and from the stage manager and from company management of Wicked. And I, I thought I was in trouble. And it was all, all of them asking, like, they want you to take over for the role. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, okay. So then you took over in LA and then Kevin and I didn't realize this until we were prepping for this episode. You opened the San Francisco sit down. Yes, I did. Yeah, I don't know who I thought opened that. Like, we knew you were there. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not taking it personal at all. I'm not offended. No, but but you have to understand, Quincy is encyclopedic about all of this. And so the fact that he didn't know this is wild to me. Like I was doing my research and I was like, she opened that? That's crazy. <laughs> what was that like to open a, a sit down of this? Because I have to imagine it was like a big deal. And there were probably other women who were like gunning for it. Maybe. I think so. I mean, it was a big deal because the out-of-town tryout of Wicked was in San Francisco. So San Francisco felt like it had a little bit of ownership over Wicked. Gregory McGuire lives in San Francisco. So there's there's definitely, like, they were trying to sort of market it as, like, Wicked comes home. And since I grew up in Sacramento, which is about two hours away from San Francisco, there was also almost, like, local girl comes and does the show, even though I wasn't so local. But, but that's cute. So it was super exciting. And to open... The show and the company was amazing. It was Kendra Casabama was my Glinda. Nick Dramard was my Fiero. Uh, Carol Kane was my Madame Marvel, who uh, is just, just to, to like, just even like work with Carol Kane, uh, whatever it is. I was like, she's, she's a legend. Yeah, and she's Lee an Wilkoff was our wizard. And I, <gasps> Little Shop of Horrors is one of my favorite shows. So to be with the original oh Seymour goodness. was, uh, it was just, and Dee Dee Magna Hall was my, was my <gasps> Nessa, who was just like magic, beautiful. The best Nessa. I'll say that on record. Oh, unfortunately, with my time with Wicked in San Francisco was very tumultuous because I got sick in rehearsals in New York because it was like January or February. And there was, it was. Oh, you rehearsed in New York? Yeah, we had two week rehearsal in New York. Oh, gotcha. It was a super, super cold winter and I just, I got, I got sick and my whole journey with the San Francisco, my, my contract in San Francisco was like an up and down, up and down, up and down. Cause I was basically just trying to stay healthy the whole time. I had, I had vocal trauma when I got to San Francisco because we went into tech and I was trying to prove myself. And up until Wicked LA, I had never done a role like that. Mm -hmm. I never carried a show. I'd never sung like that eight times a week. So yeah. And right. Alphaba is like the leading lady yeah. of all ladies. She's the ladies. leading lady. She yells the whole time. Like when she's not belting her face yeah. off, she's almost screaming at everybody. She's very a upset. Everyone we've had on has said that. There's times I was like, do I have to? Like, God, I'm screaming yeah. at everyone. <laughs> I learned so much about myself as a performer and all you have to make mistakes to know, you know, to not do them again. So yeah. So then on that note, when you went to 
Broadway, well, first of all, was it, did you have to audition again? Like, how does that work? And then secondly, did you feel more confident going into Broadway? So after I finished Wicked in San Francisco, I had at least a year off before Broadway happened. And I love that I can't remember if I did two shows or one show or how many shows I did (laughs) between that. Did you feel like more confident about yourself as a performer after finishing your San Francisco concert? Yes. Because even though I had some vocal struggles when I was good, I knew I was really good. And I also knew I felt very confident in my acting choices. I felt like I really understood the character and knew how to carry the story. And I also knew how to be a, a good acting partner on stage and I felt very, I, I had a very good sense of, I was like, I can do that. And if I can yeah. survive Elphaba, there's a lot of other things I can do. You can do anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I did a, I was at ART doing a new musical called The Blue Flower, which is kind of a very quirky avant-garde musical. It's one of my favorite shows I've done. But Stephen Schwartz was the producer of it. So we were in rehearsals at ART in Boston and I got the call that they wanted to offer me Alphaba on Broadway. Offer, not like come in and audition again. Yeah, offer. Which doesn't happen because we've talked to a lot of Alphabas who have been asked back, but they have to like audition for the creatives again before they go back to Broadway. I did not, I didn't. But maybe because Stephen Schwartz was producing the play, the show I was in. Yeah, he was seeing you around. He kind of was like, Yeah. And I mean, at that point, you had done two lead contracts. Yes. Yeah. And even in San Francisco, when I was having my vocal health sort of issues, my contract was ending and they even asked me to stay like three extra months or whatever. So I like... Did that make you feel better? Yes. But I still, I still didn't expect it. Like I thought Wicked on Elphaba on Broadway would happen at some point, but I thought maybe it was going to be later. I just kind of was like, oh yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I'll, I'll do more things. I need more credits. But I also was like, God, I hope. I think I deserve it. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I did. And it was my Broadway debut. Yeah. Which was, I have to say, it's one of the best yeah. ways to make an entrance for your first time on Broadway. You literally just start Ugh. upstage center and run straight down. The staging is Elphaba like stops and takes in shiz. Yeah. And I got to stop and actually take in the Gershwin Theater. And I, had, I was teal for a split second being like, oh my God, this is Broadway. I'm on Broadway. I'm here. And so when you were doing your Broadway contract, did you feel, because we talked to who raved about you, by the way, and she talked about how her second contract on Broadway, she really settled into the role and like was able to have fun with it. Did you feel the same way? I did. Because I, I knew I had figured out the role. I knew I brought something different to the role. I mean, everybody brings something different because everybody's a different person. So, you know, and I thought that I had really figured out who my alphabet was. So I felt very confident in that. And I also, from the mistakes I had made in my past contracts of Wicked, I was like, you're going to be smart. You're going to be safe. If you do Mm -hmm. one full week of shows, then you can take, you can definitely take a show off the next week. I I felt like I I fully embraced the role. I could sing the crap out of it and not be stressed about my vocals. I knew how to keep myself in check. I had a voice teacher who I was seeing on the, you know, who would see the show and would keep me in check and all these things. I was at home with my fella. So like I got to, you know, be home, home. So it all just felt so wonderful. So when it ended, I, when my contract was up, I was like, this is good. I feel, I feel good about this. Have you contemplated going back since? A few random little things have popped up where they've asked me and I've said no because of various things, but it's also, I, 
I ended on such a high note that I don't want to sour it with something else. I mean, if it was like, I always say if like, if I could do it in Australia, because I just want any excuse to work in Australia or London, because I want to do something on the West End. So those are things where I'm like, maybe, but now I'm at the point where I'm like, it's so much work. Let the younger ones do it. Let all those new green girls come on in. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, so Teal. Yeah. Quincy and I have a little game that we like to play, which is based off of our half-baked fan theory that every alphabet is either a wizard and I alphabet, a defying gravity alphabet, or a no good deed alphabet. Which of the three would you say that you are? Okay. And I feel like we should let you know that we pulled your name in our pilot episode and chose a song for you. Okay. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> so I'm interested to see if it lines up. Oh yeah. So it's, it's like the song that resonates with me the most, right? Yeah. Uh, no Good Deed. <laughs> that was my jam. That was it. Yeah. No Good Deed. Quincy and I for sure thought that you were a Defying Gravity alphabet. Like if you listen to it, everyone else, we like had to take a second to think about it. But two weeks, we were like, oh, Defying Gravity. <laughs> really? I want to know why. Do you know why? Well, Tio, here's the thing about you. <laughs> <laughs> The way you sing, like, strikes me like very few actresses do. There's just something about it that, like, really hits. And I think the way that Defying Gravity comes across in your performance, it's just so solid. And another thing is, like, you're a score alphabet. Like, for the most part, you sing the score. Yeah. But you make it exciting. Oh, thank you. And I love that about you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a riff-tastic alphabet. Like, riffing to me is, like, rock and roll, like, I, I want to say gospel just because, like, I think of, like, Aretha, but, like, things were, yeah, 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 like, things, but I'm not going to be, like, like, Mariah Carey, I, mad props to her, but I'm, I'm always, like, I don't know what you're, I don't know. Did you feel pressure as Alphabet to riff because that's so much a part of the culture of it all? To me, it wasn't a huge deal, like. Yes, I watched the show and watched Eden, and mm. Eden had her riffs. But I like Idina, you know, I only knew the soundtrack and I saw her once. She didn't riff. And Julia Murney was my like alphabet that um. I just loved her. I loved her acting choices. I loved just what she, there was something that she brought to alphabet that seemed different to me and seemed so unique. And it just somehow resonated with me. And so I was like, oh my God. Mm. She, you know, mm -hmm. her and I are more in the kind of like riffing is like you add one extra note. Or you just go, mm -hmm. like, high and loud. More of an option, less of a role. Yeah. But yeah, I love No Good Deed because it's low. It's just my voice is kind of a little bit lower and it just, it's so meaty and wasn't super difficult. Wait, so No Good Deed is, like, the vocally easiest song of the three? At the time, it was for me. Yeah. Or after Fierro. Or after, after Fierro. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was my last bell. Yeah. Cause like that, you know, no good deed will I do. You can like, do will I do again? Like that's the easy yeah, one, yeah. you know? Or if you're feeling amazing and you're like, I'm gonna, it's the end of the week, I'm gonna do my last big thing again, yeah. whatever that is, you know? So it's fun because you feel like you can, at least for me, like I can let loose a little bit more vocally. So speaking of your lower register, which you mentioned, we would like to talk to you specifically about the song which holds the lowest note in the history of women on stage, I'm Not That Girl. <laughs> it was the easiest thing for me. And I felt very proud because, you know, the music directors were like, ooh, 
That you sound good in that. And I was like, yes, I do. She has the range, honey. And it was it's like full and it was fun. And it was I loved it. I loved it. All right. So listeners, for context, when we were coordinating all of this, Teal had told us that she had a funny slash scary story about I'm not that girl. It was a scary story. It's the first time that I've ever feel like I've I've had an actual panic attack on stage. This happened to me doing Wicked in San Francisco. I had done it for 10 and a half, 11 months in LA. And I think about six months into the San Francisco run, I had a full straight week where I could not remember anything. I I couldn't, uh. I I messed up for good so many times. Blessed Kendra Kasbaum would just be looking at me and just being like, you can do it, you can do it. And so there was one show where as soon as I'm Not That Girl started, I was having an extra forgetful show before the song started, I was like, I don't, I have no idea. I have no idea how this song starts. I don't know a single word. I don't like freaking out. And somehow I made it through the song. I think I almost said, said all the right words, but I would complete a phrase and be like, oh, okay, okay, great, great. What comes next? What comes next? Oh my God. It was the scariest to feel so like out of control of like your brain. And you're and just alone on stage. There's nothing else yeah, to distract. Yeah. Right. There's no lights. There's no flying. It's just you in the spotlight. There's no high belt. Like Your hair is down. Your hair is down. You're just standing there. You have a white jacket on. Okay. You're pretty. You have been Galindified. Yeah. Is, is there the flower? Is the flower still in the hair? I don't remember. Uh, I don't know. I think maybe I we know. take her off mid-song. I feel like we lost Maybe it. we take her off. Yeah. I think we're like, I'm not that girl. I'm not that girl. <laughs> Put it in the purse. So I'm Not That Girl is like, we were talking about how Alphaba is so yelly the entire show. And I'm Not That Girl feels like one of the few moments where Alphaba gets to be kind of introspective and like calm down for a little bit. Did you view it as kind of a break or was it no. challenging in a different way? It was challenging in a different way. It's one of my favorite songs. It's beautiful. And it is, you are getting insight. And it's like, up until this point, she was, she was like... She was either super defensive or super like hopeful and like, I'm going to get that. And this is the first time that she's like, wow, okay, wow, there's, there's something that I want that I, I honestly like, that's not my thing. And I don't think I actually deserve that. Like, it felt like it was such a honest telling song. And I really wanted to focus on telling the story because it's not like a wizard and I where everything's, where you're basically, your train of thought is getting um, sidetracked by like things like a wizard now you like run into the kids and you're like Ugh. and then you have your vision and you're like oh my god like you know you're acting stuff out and the wizard and I whereas with I'm not that girl like you said it's super introspective and it's more like reflective of like who am I what am I who am I now versus who I was before so I think it's it's a tricky song and because it's so bare bones in a different way than The Wizard and I is bare bones. Because you're also on stage alone in The Wizard and I, but I'm not that True. girl feels more vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. It's the acoustic cover of the show. Yeah. They're also, yeah. I do have to say, I'm not, the, I'm not that girl because it's so dark lighting wise. Mm -hmm. It was, I feel like one of the numbers that we would rehearse the crap out of and they'd always be like, you're not in your light. You're, it's so dark. You have to, you're uh, too far back. You're behind the bridge. The gobo with the special light is here. You have to get, so I was always like, I don't know. And you're like, do you want me to look down and be like, where's, where's three? There's three. Okay. Now I'm walking yeah. to three. <laughs> Quincy and I have a, which is something we've talked about that we would love to ha maybe have your opinion on yeah. is we keep hearing about the very infamous alphabet packet when you go into audition, which includes the lion cub scene, right? Mm -hmm. So what about that scene do you think is like, important when they are casting Alphaba? 
uh, it's the first time that Elphaba is like almost like checking herself and having someone call her out on the things that she's doing. Like rather than being like, I don't care what you think. Like, shut up. Or being like, on the you don't understand. Yeah. She's kind of like, oh, okay, I guess. And it's also, there's, there's like comedy beats in it. So it's also like a chance for the Elphabas to show some of their funny, the like... Oh, that's interesting. Oh, do you uh, ever let anyone else speak? And then she's like, of course I do, but one more thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You must think I'm really stupid. No, not really stupid. Not really stupid. You know, yeah. like, those are very specific joke lines. And if Elphaba's not funny, if the actress can't find Sell the humor it. in those, she's, she's, nobody's going to root for her. Like, Elphaba yeah, yeah. needs to be funny. And she also gets to be a little vulnerable and she loses her footing at the end of that scene. Oh my God, she goes yeah. on such a journey in that scene. It's a crazy 10 minutes. Yeah. It really is. And because you're coming out, oh my God, I can now analyze this scene so yeah. much. I'm not gonna, we don't need to go into it. That, no, that no, will no, take no. way too much time. Yeah, well, and that scene shows so many colors of her that aren't there in the songs. Exactly. You know what I mean? She doesn't really get an introspective song, or, you know, in the in the big songs. And she doesn't really get to be clumsy and nervous around a boy in the songs. And so it's like, it is kind of interesting that all of those extra parts of her are in this quick little page and a half book scene. Yeah. Can we switch gears to the share show for a second before we go? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what a blast that show was. Because I mean, we, Quincy and I went, we got like seats in the, the very back row. And then, but like everyone around us was just like all these other people who were like there having a great time. We were like treating the mezzanine like our own little party. Like it was such a fun night in the theater. No rules. It was just fun. No rules. Yeah. Totally. I mean, yeah, we literally, yeah, we, there were times where we were like, okay, guys, okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Let's talk about the Alpha sorority that was happening in the cast of the Cher show. Mm-hmm. What was it like? Because in a lot of ways, SJB is OG Alphaba. I mean, she is the... In like every way. <laughs> You'll have no arguments here. Yeah. <laughs> One, I want to know, was there ever a moment where you were like... Because I know you knew SJB before doing yeah. the chair show. But was there ever a moment where like, we were Alphabas? And two, with you, SJB, and D, were you like, guys, this is crazy? Yeah. And also Angel. Angel Rita. Oh my God, that's right. She was yes. in the show. Yeah. And we had a Fiero. Michael Campagno was a ex-Fiero. I mean, it was funny. We were talking, because there was one point where we were like, what is it? Sharon Elphaba. Like, there's actually something What's clearly similar. Yeah. And it's not just the black hair. Yeah. When you were auditioning, was Stephanie already involved? Yeah, when I auditioned, Steph and Michaela were already cast. Mm -hmm. And we, we were, the, the whole, everybody was amazing. But like, really having the three of us, and I only say the four of us, because D in all of our like rehearsal periods where it was like the shares to do our thing, D was always there. And it mm -hmm. just felt like, like, like a sisterhood, like we were sisters and we were really trying to take care of each other. And I'm an only child. And it, I felt for the first time, little bits of like, Oh, is this what it actually feels like to have siblings? Yeah. Cause we would mostly, we would get along. I mean, we were, you know, we had nothing but love for each other, but there were some times where, the, you know, there would be like a weird, sort of tension that could pop, like bop about. And, you, and I'd be like, oh, I think this is, must be like what siblings talk about, like that, yeah. what that dynamic is. And also being <laughs> middle share, it was very much like the middle child, like being like, okay, yeah. she gets to do all these fancy things. And then Michaela's, you know, the young, beautiful, brand new thing who gets to do that. And I was like, how do I get to shine and, and put my stamp and be, 
you know, really justify having me rather than just having two versions or four or five right. versions. Um, yeah. so, so it was tricky, which just made me just dig deeper. And it was just a lot, it was just a lot of things. I learned a lot about myself. I learned really how to like truly collaborate with other actors on stage because we had to, the three of us had the, well, even the four of us and had to all figure out how to sell the fact that we were playing the same person. Which you did. Thanks. <laughs> Fun question to end things off. Uh-huh. Do we think that Michaela Diamond is ever going to play Alphaba? Because we're waiting for it. Oh my, right? That's another thing we would say. We'd be like, well, I mean, basically Michaela's going to be an Alphaba. And Michaela's like, I don't know if I want to be an Alphaba. If she wants to. I'm going to call her out though. She does not really know Wicked. <gasps> like, as, as musical theater nerdy as she can be or theater nerd because she went to LaGuardia high school. So like she, you know, like, but she's in culinary school now, right? Yeah. She's, she's amazing. She is. There's, I'm just like, what, who are you? Why are you so cool? Yeah. I, I said to Quincy recently is like watching the Jimmy awards. It's like, there's like the nostalgia of like, Oh, they're all so cute. Like I remember when I was in high school and then you see them like in real life. And I'm like, I was not this cool when I was like, <laughs> 18 and in the ensemble of guys and dolls you know what I mean like <laughs> there was nothing cool about me and now all these like young kids are so oh gosh it's baffling they're just badass Ugh. well Teal this has been so fun where can people find you online okay where can you find me online I'm just I'm at Teal Wicks literally on everything simple thank you so much for joining us Teal thank you guys yeah, Teal, thank you a thousand times. Oh my God, of course. Are you recording? Yeah, I'm recording. Are we going to tell the listeners about the drama we just went through or no? I mean, we told them that we were that this was Fast and Furious at the start, so I feel like they deserve to know the tomfoolery. So basically, we recorded an entire Essentially an entire episode. Two thirds of an episode. Yeah, two thirds of an episode with Miss Teal Wicks. And then for whatever reason, the <laughs> platform that we use to record our episodes didn't record Teal's audio. Like luckily for us, like truly, Kevin, we were so lucky. Teal was like We are the luckiest. Yeah. Teal was down to clown and she was like, guys, let's just Let's do it again. Yeah. Teal was like, give me a five minute bathroom break. I'm going to grab a new beer and then we'll start over. And it was like, honestly, let's do it. Yeah. We all took five. We peed. We refreshed our drinks. And then we continued recording. Well, we didn't continue. We, we started. started literally over <laughs> again. And honestly, like it was great. Like we talked about different things. I felt like it was a really great conversation. Teal, I cannot thank you enough for I know being willing to do all that because that was a big ask. But I'm so glad because this was a really great episode and she's one of our favorite alphabas. This was a really special episode for us. And now we'll never forget and it. And now we will <laughs> never forget it. <laughs> I was like a little embarrassed that neither of us knew that or like remembered that she opened the San Fran sit down. Oh, I know. Well, I mean, we knew going into the interview, but we didn't know when we woke up this morning. She was totally cool about it. She was like, who fucking cares if you don't know? But I was embarrassed for us. But when she was running through who that cast was, I was like, oh my God, that is an all star cast. It was such a moment. Such a moment. And it reminded me of like, so someone else recently told us that a lot of thought goes into the the opening casts of these sit-down productions because in a way it's like presenting a new original cast. And so that 
San Fran cast was stacked. I had no idea yeah. how many legends. And that's why I was like upset at us for not knowing that she had opened the San Francisco production. Who are we? We're posers, guys. You know, I tried to, speaking of posers, I tried to read the Wicked novel in middle school. First of all, it's like, I should not have had access to that book at 13 years old. It's wildly inappropriate for a teenager. But the gag of the story is that I would like try to read it and I'd get so like distracted. And so I brought the book with me to Boy Scout camp. You were a Boy Scout, Kevin? I was a Boy Scout. I was a Boy Scout. Get out of here. I like, oh, I was, wor- what's the one before Eagle? I don't know. Whatever. I was working on that one when I stopped. So I almost made it all the way. I was just like, I'm not going to do this Eagle project. So count me out. Like I knew it was not going to happen for me. Yeah. Yeah. I was a Boy Scout for many, many years. I was like, you know what? I have a hard time connecting with my male peers. Me showing up with this fruity ass, like sexy Wizard of Oz fan fiction is definitely gonna do the trick i'm gonna have a ton of fucking friends this year you know what these bros are gonna be into alphabet <laughs> yeah you know what these prepubescent boys are gonna want to talk about shoshana's no good deed riffs <laughs> in high school they gave every student the same planner and it had like a clear cover mm-hmm. i would ever you decorate mine to be wicked a collage yeah. yeah like everyone was just like oh yeah quincy loves wicked and it was just like a thing quincy loves wicked do you have a glinda's corner i feel like we didn't discuss this prior i do have a glinda's corner okay let's hear it I had no clue what I was going to say tonight because Glinda is like not in the lion cub scene and not in the song. So I was like, what the, what am I going to talk about? Because you're tied to your whole continuity through. Because I am creating a narrative. I am not tied to anything. I am creating a narrative. Um, And so I always thought of I'm Not That Girl as this song that is like Elphaba comparing herself to Glinda. And she only describes Glinda three times in the song, and it's all one right after the other. She's really not talking about Glinda all that much in the, or I'm sorry, Galinda at this point. And so the three things, the three ways that she describes Galinda is blithe smile, lithe limbs, and describes her as being winsome. So those are the three ways that Alphaba describes Glinda in this song. And so if I were, as I toss my hair, playing the role of Glinda, the the way that that would like kind of inform you, the word Blythe is like a casual indifference. Like it's very like aloof. It's very like, but it almost in a way that um, is looked down upon by like the snooty upper crust. Fitting, correct? Then lithe limbs. So the word lithe is like, obviously it means like skinny and and thin, but it also means like very graceful, um, which I think also is like something that is should maybe be internalized by someone stepping into this role. And then the word winsome, I will be honest with you, I had to look up what it meant because I always just assumed that it meant like someone who is lucky, like someone who wins a lot. And it's not that. It is someone who is engaging in a childlike manner. I always thought that that lyric was, she who wins some. Like, she wins some. She wins him. She wins him. It's not that. I do think it is interesting that this song, which I always kind of remembered as being like a comparative song, really is not. 
my newfound perspective on I'm not that girl is that like Elphaba is going through all of these things and being like the reason this isn't happening for me is because I'm not like my friend Glinda, Galinda. And it's only when she leans into those differences that she becomes that girl. But let's also just acknowledge she may not be a part of this section of the show but Galinda Upland of the Upper Uplands Mm -hmm. comes in immediately following this song and makes a whole damn spectacle of herself and that's the kind of chaotic energy that I'm drawn to we have this beautiful delicate like reflective moment with Alphaba and then Glinda is like hello I'd like to cause a scene please I'm changing my name my boyfriend doesn't love me where are we going that was great <laughs> these things are sent to try us thank you for that Glinda corner it's that was like a Glinda like corner in a rounded room it was cute I liked it thanks <laughs> like honestly guys a crazy crazy episode crazy and we said this in the opening is i'll consider it a success if people are listening to this on friday morning and i mean it tenfold now when kevin said it in the intro i was like yeah obviously this is getting to people by friday and now i'm like oh my god we has- also have i mean this is like this is a fun spoiler i feel like but quincy and i also have like the biggest interview that we have done yet between now and this episode coming out so, so yeah, we have truly, to if you're listening to this on friday um that I, I think we deserve a pat on the back just please be kind to us <laughs> and teal you are a rock star rock star um so yeah we'll see you next week quincy come with me to, to the, the emerald, emerald city <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Sentimental Men. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Quincy Brown and Kevin Bianchi. Thanks to Julia DeMarzo for our thrillifying artwork. And thanks to you for tuning in. You can reach us at sentimentalmenpod at gmail.com. Or on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at sentmenpod. That's S-E-N-T-M-E-N-P-O-D. Till next time, I'm Quincy. And I'm Kevin. I'm wearing a pink t-shirt right now and it feels very... I'm wearing a green sweatshirt. Look at us. Oh my God. It's switching roles. We're like when Megan and Shoshana did it at that yep, cabaret. Yep.